Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep. That sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. BetterHelp.com slash save. Got it. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep. That sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to BetterHelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus, it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through BetterHelp.com slash save. BetterHelp.com slash save. Got it. Hey everyone, I'm your co-host Daniela. Welcome to Making Sense of Success, a podcast dedicated to finding the meaning of success and empowerment. Stay tuned every Saturday for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at makingsenseofsuccess.pod. Please feel free to email us at makingsenseofsuccess at gmail.com if you'd be interested in sharing your stories of success and empowerment. All right, well, welcome, Amber. Uh, Would you like to give our listeners a little bio of yourself, your favorite color, your star sign, what you do in your spare time, your endeavors, (laughs) etc.? Well, hey, everybody in podcast land that's listening. Uh, My name is Amber, and um, my favorite color is pink, even though I hardly wear it. I'm more of a black person. And my star sign, I am a Leo. So my birthday was almost two weeks ago. And related. Uh, oh, thanks. Um, and as far as my profession, I wear many hats. Uh, my nine to five is um, I'm a visual merchandiser for a major national retail chain. Um, but I'm currently uh, furloughed because, you know, Rona. And uh, when I'm not working there, um, I started my own clothing line because I got bored during quarantine, made a whole bunch of tie-dye stuff. It blew up on the internet. So I've been doing that full time. Uh, And also I ran a fashion blog that I've had for about five years. It's called The Cocoa Butter Diaries. And I talk all things fashion. It's like a personal style diary for me. And I mix high, um, high end pieces with kind of like more contemporary. I used to do a lot more fast fashion, but then fast fashion is evil. So I stopped buying fast fashion in March. So now I just try to focus on uh, quality pieces that are still reasonably priced, but then mixed with uh, luxury pieces as well. Out of time. Hey guys, so as you may know, Sierra and I use uh, Anchor to record our podcast. It's really the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. They also provide you with creation tools, which allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your cell phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. The best part is that you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Just make sure you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Very cool. I love how there's so many different aspects to it. 
you have like your own business as well as um, making sure that you're consuming sustainably in terms of clothing. So we always love that here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always something we pay attention <laughs> to. How do you go, I guess, about finding like uh, you were saying like affordable options? Because sometimes I think that might be a deterrent for some people um, when they're trying to change to more sustainable lifestyle. Yes, that's true. It is very difficult to all of a sudden just kind of pivot a 180 to buying more sustainably because sustainability sometimes can be more pricey. Um, There are some great brands that are kind of, I mean, not cheap, but then also not super expensive that you can buy direct from like um, Everlane is one. Uh, where you can get great quality basics um, that are, you know, sustainably made or sustainably made and they're reasonably priced because you buy direct from them. And they're also from San Francisco too. Woo woo. Um, and, but then also it's a more of a budgetary choice. I'm not knocking fast fashion in any way, shape or form. It's just that I'm in a place in my life where I made the decision because I can afford not to buy from those places and focus more on quality versus quantity in my closet that I could buy from more uh, uh, contemporary brands, brands that are more uh, sustainable and that have a little bit of a heftier price tag. But if you do want to um, not necessarily shop quote unquote sustainably, uh, but then still focus on quality, you could also just buy less. And right now we're in a really good time that, you know, the economy is bad. Let's go there. But we're in a really good time as far as retail, because they're sitting on so much inventory that the sales are insane. So this would be a good time if you did want to invest in more, uh, contemporary and mid-tier, uh, not necessarily luxury brands, but designer brands, this would be the best time to kind of peruse the sales because, you know, even things that normally wouldn't be on sale are on sale right now. And to get the pieces that you want that you probably wouldn't have been able to afford before. So that uh, dynamic has definitely helped Um, But I do also understand that, you know, again, not everyone can afford to shop right now, given the state of the economy. And some people are just literally just trying to make ends meet. But if you have the ability to do so, those are kind of some options that you have. I totally agree. Like now is a great time to shop, even though like it'll take like 18 months to get to your house. I feel like it's a great time since the sales are going good. Like, that's exactly what I'm going through every single day. I'm like, I wear a uniform to work. A lot of people do. And I'm like, why do I need to buy this right now? Well, because I'm going to save the environment one day. Might as well look cute doing it and do it sustainably. Right. Am I right or am I right? I mean, right. And plus, like, <laughs> plus when I do leave the house, I do want to have cute options. Exactly. I mean, like, the mask doesn't have to be cute, but you got to feel cute to be. Yeah, I want to I wanna flex at Costco. Because exactly. that's pretty much the only place yeah. I go now. Costco. They're not doing samples anymore, but we miss them. Oh Costco. yeah, definitely, definitely miss the sample samples, but I do love going to Costco. Oh my god, me too. You're like, what? What can I buy today? What are yeah. they going to surprise me with this week? 
I don't yeah, know. exactly. So many new things. <laughs> what uh, has there been like a specific experience or situation that kind of made you want to step away from fast fashion besides, you know, horribleness that it is? Um, the thing that really got to me was especially when um, COVID hit and they really got, you know, blasted in the news about the, you know, we've always known about the, you know, barely paying the living wage and exploiting uh, the workers in these uh, foreign countries such as Bangladesh. And also that a majority of the workers that get exploited are people of color. Um, we always knew that, but we kind of turned a blind eye to it because, again, we you know want new clothes when we want them. And if they're, you know, pretty much designer knockoffs, but then we're getting them at a tenth of the price, then, you know, no harm, no foul. But when Rona kind of really started to uh, spread in March and it was uh, written about in the news as far as them expecting the workers to still work, a lot of these brands uh, canceling their orders and not paying for their orders just because Rona hit and a few other things that it was just kind of like, wow, y'all really are messy. And it really just goes to show like how a lot of these um, fast fashion companies do exploit people and their workers and are willing to put their lives in danger just to make money. So when I read about that, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to shop fast fashion anymore. So as much as at first it hurt deleting the, you know, Zara app and the H&M app, because I do love me some Zara, um, it was just kind of like I'm making this decision to do this. And I did that back in March, like when we first got stuck in the house. And as tempted as I've been, because, you know, Instagram and you see your friends and really cute things and then you want to be like, oh, where's that dress from? And then you see it's from a fast fashion place and you're like, oh, no. Yeah, no, like we're, you know, we're not doing it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's cute. But it's H&M. So, you know what? Never mind. So it ain't that it's, cute. yeah, it's not that cute no more. So mm -hmm. like that was kind of how I came down to the decision not to do that. And I'm you know, I'm pretty pleased with myself that I've stayed strong in my convictions and that I haven't done it, even though I have been tempted because some of the stuff is cute. But the fact that I made that decision and I stuck to it, I'm pretty proud of myself. Knowing um, all of this new information and making sure like you're caring about somebody else's life kind of along with yours, what do you think your version of success is? Um, my version of success is basically loving what you do for work. Like for me, because I was someone who for a while had the corporate job and thought that that's what I was supposed to do and, you know, made lots of money and thought that that was, you know, it was like, look, mama, I made it. Thought that that was success. Like, knowing that now that's not success at all. Like I don't even use my degrees now that <laughs> I spent my parents' money and my money on and went into debt for. Uh, but I had the job, hated it, and finally mustered up the courage when I was uh, almost 30 to leave 
Like it was like, you can't pay me enough money to still be at this job. And at first I thought it was my, my job, like the place that I worked, the company that I worked for that was draining my soul. But I took a similar job and moved cross country for it and still hated it. So then that's when I realized it was my career and it didn't matter what company I worked for and how much money they threw at me. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was just not fulfilled or satisfied. And uh, fashion has always been my passion, but I just never thought that I could do it for work besides, you know, fashion design or working retail. That's kind of the only jobs that people really see in fashion as far as like a, a front facing view of fashion, but there's, you know, corporate offices in fashion too. It just, you don't really talk about it much. So I kind of went that route thinking that I would never be able to, you know, work in fashion. And the only way that I could do it is if I worked in retail, but then it was like, wow, that would be a significant pay cut mm-hmm. given what I used to yeah. make before. If I went, cause I went, cause when I was working in corporate, I was making almost six figures in, in my late twenties. And then I was supposed to go back to making, you know, $15 an hour. And then I live in one of the most expensive metropolitan areas in the country. So it was kind of like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And (laughs) yeah. And then of course, you know, my dad being, you know, you know how dads are. Dads Mm -hmm. are just like, yeah, you know, whatever makes you happy, dear, you know, go, go do what you need to do. I'll support you. And then my mom being the more practical one being like, really, you gonna give up your six figure job to do what? Are you serious? (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, so having kind of my parents, you know, having opposite viewpoints, but then them finally understanding that I was trying to follow my dreams. They finally, you know, especially my mom, she finally came around to the idea and they noticed that I actually was happier. Yeah. The, you know, with retail, the pay sucks. Customers are terrible usually And the hours are ungodly because you never have the same schedule every week. So it's kind of hard to even have a life outside of work. But I loved what I was doing. I was folding shirts and making $15 an hour, but I was happy for once. And I realized then that I was where I needed to be at that time. And then, of course, my career progressed. I started working in more uh, higher end retail and working as a um, as a stylist at um, a luxury department store. I'm not going to name names. And <laughs> and, you know, really getting a feel for what that was like and then realizing that I loved, you know, being around clothes all day, but I hated being in the sales part. And so then that's when I decided to go more towards the visual route because I could still work at the store. I could still play with clothes all day, but then I didn't actually have to deal with people. And I was like, that seems more my speed. And I love what I do. I love being a visual merchandiser. I get to be creative. I get to be around clothes. I get to be around people that love fashion um, as much as I do. I love my boss. Um, I love that, you know, I start work super early because we do most of our work when the store is closed because we have to like move furnitures and furniture and mannequins and shelves and things. So we go to work super early, which means I go get off super early. So I kind of like that part. And again, 
you know, we do most of our work when the work is, uh, when the store is closed. So we don't even really have to deal with each other. It's just kind of like, this is what we're working on today. Go do it. So the autonomy and the fact that I'm still doing what I love, like makes my job that much sweeter. And like I said, I've never been happier about it. I guess with transitioning um, from your corporate job into like the fashion and retail industry, was there maybe a piece of advice that like stuck close to your heart or did, did someone maybe give you a piece of advice that meant a lot to you during that time? Um, no one directly gave me advice. It was just more like when I decided to pursue fashion, like like when I moved back home and I literally had no job, I used my frequent flyer miles to be able to afford my one-way plane ticket home because I didn't want to spend any money. And I moved back in with my mom. Um, I sat there and I was just like, okay, we could do something where I'm actually using my degree. We can apply for jobs for that, see what we get. But again, the Bay Area being super competitive because, you know, we got Berkeley, we got Stanford, we got all the, Mm -hmm. you know, tech giants who are hiring like mad, but at the same time, it's super competitive. So even with my experience and my background, I wasn't able to find even just a basic analyst job, um, given with my, um, I have a bachelor's and a master's in economics, but I still couldn't find a job. Oh, wow. So I decided to uh, start pursuing fashion. Like I was like, it wouldn't hurt since we're starting over it wouldn't hurt to at least start pursuing fashion. And then I was like, but where do I start? I know I can't just jump into a corporate fashion job, even though, you know, Gap is headquartered here. Levi's is headquartered here. You know, there's a lot of fashion and beauty brands that have corporate offices in the Bay Area. But I knew I couldn't just jump into those without having any quote unquote fashion experience, like working retail or anything like that. Cause I didn't even work retail in high school. So I realized after watching like some TED Talks and stuff during Fashion Week and hearing people like, oh, this is how I got started in fashion. And, you know, now I'm an editor. It's like I, I, the thing that I gleaned from it was that everyone either interned for someone while they were in college and worked another job on the side because usually fashion internships, you don't you don't get paid or they worked retail. So I was just kind of like, well, I'm a little old to get an internship. And also I'm not in school, so I can't get an internship either. So I decided to work retail and I was like, well, I've never worked retail ever, but if a job, if a store is willing to give me a chance, that would be great. And so I basically applied to a few stores and then I got an interview at the brand that I work for now, um, as a stylist at the time. And, um, I was just basically like, I've never worked retail before, but I have a great eye for fashion and style and I learn fast. So if you give me a chance, I won't let you down. And they hired me. And, you know, so it was just more like you get some advice. You kind of want to be down on yourself at first. But once the opportunity presents itself, you take it. And then if there's opportunities to advance, like I did, which is, you know, making connections with the right people, you know, having my manager at that store move up and manage their own store and then take me with them to work at their store, which was a little bit higher end and higher level. And then being scouted while working at that store 
to work at a luxury department store, you know, and kind of taking those progressions as they come and building more experience and getting a stronger resume really helped. So it, it may seem like a daunting task to transition, but as long as you're following your passion and you're true to your gut and you're really willing to do the work and start at the bottom if necessary, then there's no reason why you can't do it. I think it's so important to break the stigma of changing your career from what you quote unquote, like say you majored in college and deciding to go with something completely different than that. I think it's really important to break the negative, like taboo sort of feeling that it presents itself because, you know, whatever you graduate in college with is whatever you're feeling at that exact moment and shit changes. You know what I'm saying? Stuff changes, feelings change, you get older, you figure out what you like to do and what you love. Not saying that you don't love your career or whatever you like majored in college, but like many people are like, you're not going to do whatever you did in college. Are you kidding me? I'm like, stop. I mean, success is success. Why dog on somebody who just wants to live their life to the fullest? Right. And I think we do need to get rid of that stigma. And I think a lot of that stigma has to do with our parents' generation because at, you know, when they were finishing college, if they went, they were probably already married, maybe have a kid or two and are trying to, you know, finish school and stuff like that. And their whole thing was, I finished school. I need to find a good job to be able to provide for my family. And I need to stay in that job because it's more than just me. Whereas our generation, we get, we get married older, if at all. We, you know, don't have kids or if we do, we maybe only have one or two. Uh, and also a lot of we also had to carry more debt to be able to go to college than they did. They were able to work, you know, a part time job busting, busting tables and be able to pay for school, whereas we can barely work part time and cover our books and we mm -hmm. have to take on a lot of debt. So a lot of reason why we have to take the jobs that we take with our degrees starting out is because we have student loan debt to pay back. And once, you know, we get a firm footing on that, then we feel like we can do what we want. But also because we don't have a lot of those burdens as far as, you know, responsibilities of taking care of other people like our significant others and, and or children, we kind of have the flexibility to kind of explore our passions and kind of go, you know what, maybe I can leave my nine to five and do something else. But I will caveat that and say that you shouldn't just one day just be like, F this, I'm out without a plan. Like you definitely <laughs> yeah. either need to have um, money saved up to be able to pursue your passions, whatever that may be. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a decent savings from the job that I had. And I had about six months worth of savings because the pay was really good. And I stashed a lot of it into uh, a 401k. Uh, but you should definitely have a plan. And if your plan does not say I can quit my nine to five right now and be able to do this, 
then come up with a plan that lets you figure out, okay, how much time do I need to save as much money as I can so that I can quit this job and do what I want? And if it's three months, six months, a year, you you know make the plan, you stick to it, and then when your goal is met, you can you know peace out and you can do it. Um, or you know entrepreneurship or you know following your passion ain't for everybody. It's 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 okay to also follow your passion, have it not work out, and go back to your nine to five. Like that's also okay. Um, because, but, but the whole thing is, is that you don't have to think about the what ifs, like you don't have to live your life thinking about, well, what if I would have actually, you know, quit my job to open a bakery and bake cookies, even though I'm an attorney, like, (laughs) you know, like you don't have to think about the what ifs. It was like, yeah, I, I opened a bakery. I baked cookies. My shop didn't go well. I had to close it, but you know. I still got my law degree. I can go back to being a lawyer. It just, I followed my dream and it didn't work out. Or maybe it just didn't work out right now. And you may retool when you go back to work, retool, use your nine to five to fund your passion and just do it on the side. And then when it takes off, then you can quit your job again. So it's kind of, you know, you have to figure out what works for you. And also if, you know, entrepreneurship is for you, And if following your passion, period, is something that you're willing to do, because if you're too scared to do it, then don't do it. But then you also have to be uncomfortable in order to be able to take the leap. And I think a lot of the time, too, um, we don't realize, I guess, how common degrees become now. Like, as you were saying earlier, when you went back to San Francisco, you noticed that you know, even with like a master's, it was really hard to find a job within the field that you had studied in college, which like, you know, in the time of our parents, like that would have been more than what you needed to qualify for a job. So like, we don't also always get to choose like what we want to do because you have to survive, like make a living for yourself in a way. So it can be tough. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then you also have to be willing to take a job that necessarily doesn't fulfill you, but pays the bills. Like you have to kind of, sometimes if the job search gets hard, sometimes you have to put your pride aside and be just be like, look, I just need to make money period to cover my bills. So whether it's, you know, working at Starbucks or, you know, becoming a Uber driver or, you know, bagging groceries, like whatever it takes that if I could just get a job so I could just earn enough coin to be able to just pay my bills and and figure it out later, something that's flexible. You also have to be willing to do that, too. And I find like even there's this concept of um, like sometimes you're overqualified. Like to mm-hmm. me, I could never understand that because I was like, wow, like ideally you would want someone to have like all the qualifications and more for a job. But now like you're, there's a struggle with that too. You could be like overqualified, for example, if you have like a PhD or a, like a doctorate. Oh yeah, definitely. I ran into that wall myself. Like when I quit my first corporate job because I had kind of reached the ceiling. I had been in the company for almost five years. I was in line, like I was the I was the top choice to be frank to uh, be next in line for when a senior position opened up. I didn't get it. I had been denied three times. And so I kind of topped out at that company and there wasn't really a place 
to go laterally in a different department uh, to be able to, that had my, that could use my skill sets that I could stay at the company. So I couldn't move around and then I couldn't move up. So I made the conscious decision to leave. And I thought, given my background, I had worked for an established company that had a stellar reputation and what I did for a living, that it would just be like, okay, yeah, piece of cake. I should be able to find the job in like a month tops. And I was finding that I ran into so many barriers. The first barrier was my pay. I had worked at a company where the entry pay, because it was kind of a public private company, you got all the job security of working for a public agency, but then the pay was as if. This season a full heart doesn't mean a full house. We're still gathering, just virtually, and we're still connecting, safely. Traditions keep us close even when we can't be together. Think big, plan small. Let's save lives, Columbus. You worked, you know, for, well, you got all the job security of working for a public agency. The pay was as if you worked for a public agency, but then you had the perks of working for a private company as far as cost of living adjustments and bonuses and stuff like that. So... I had five years of experience, but my pay was really high because it was almost um, six figures at that point. And even just trying to go to another company, and of course they always ask a salary question when you're screening, I had to tell them what I was being paid and then they would be like, oh, without hearing me out and being like, look, this was the kind of company that I worked for. I know that their pay structure starts out high and that I'm willing to take a actual net take home pay cut if your benefits are good. Like mm-hmm. they wouldn't even hear me out. And so that was one barrier that I ran into. And then the other one was I felt like I was qualified, especially to be a senior because I had five years of actual working experience and then your degrees also count as technically work experience as well. I thought I had enough years under my belt to be able to apply for senior positions and I got crickets. And then when I would try to apply for a similar position to the one that I had that I resigned from, they would say I was overqualified. So it was just kind of like, okay, I'm overqualified for this but then you won't even give me the time of day for the next step up. And then also when I finally get a call back for a a position where I am qualified for, now you don't want to interview me because my pay is too high. So it's kind of like, what? Like, what do they want? Seriously, like what goes through their brain saying, um, you're too qualified, but like you're also not qualified enough. Danielle and I have this conversation pretty often just because like (laughs) I'm still in college therefore like I don't know much about um the real world um at my the ripe age of 19 I'm still like learning about everything whereas like Danielle she's like they want you to have like 85 years of experience but like I'm 12 you know what I mean (laughs) like what's going on what kind of experience do you want from me and I think it's like I feel like the professional corporate sort of situation I feel like they really need to have like a good meditation session or I don't know do some journaling to figure out why they're being this irritating and rude 
Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's very it's very difficult. It, it's very difficult because even when um, and I'm going to age myself. I'm 35. Um, even when I was finishing uh, college, my undergraduate degree, it was 2008. So right when the economy crashed is when I graduated. Oh no! So so it was the worst. Um, and I had you know, and I I thought I had done everything right. You know, I graduated with honors. I had, you know, a good degree that was really flexible and I had, you know, the internship and, you know, I felt like, oh yes, I, you know, should be at the top of the pile, please, because I have all the right bona fides. But at the same time, I, I still had difficulty finding a job and I had to, you know, take some jobs that I really didn't like right after I graduated because I had to get I had to get rid of my internship because I graduated. And then I had, you know, my student loans were gonna come calling because six months after you graduate, they're like, hi, you gotta start paying. So I had my backup plan. My backup plan was to go to graduate school. So I was like, if I don't have a job by the time Sally Mae starts blowing up my phone, I'm just gonna duck back in and go to graduate school because that's the easiest way to get a deferment. So I studied like mad, got into a graduate school, and then sure enough, it came time to commit. Like, are you coming this semester? I still didn't have a job. So I was just like, yep, looks like we're going to grad school full time. <laughs> that's what I, and that's what I did. And then I didn't get my first full-time job with like benefits and everything that I really felt like I was an adult until after I was about to finish my first year of graduate school. So I, it had been like a good, solid, almost a year and a half from graduating undergrad before I actually got a job like a real job (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's like a very like common struggle that people face nowadays like I think and I think we're gonna see the same maybe something similar to 2008 whenever the pandemic is over to be honest um, I know, yes. like, in Canada, they, I've seen a lot of articles. Luckily enough, I was able to, like, secure a job and, like, work remotely throughout the pandemic now. But I've heard of a lot of jobs that have, like, fell through or, like, people, yeah, like, they, their contract was just basically ripped to shreds because of the pandemic. Um, so now they graduated and don't have a job. And it's, it's a scary reality, to be honest with you, um, after graduating trying to figure out like what you're going to do. And even if you want to continue in that, because I know a lot of people uh, that they were just, they finished their undergrad and they're like, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. And I think that's totally fair. And I feel like your story is so inspirational in the way um, you switched careers and industries. And um, you seem so motivated to continue. I switched careers when I was 33. So, or 32. So you're never too old to do it. And again, like if you really feel that passionate about it, just, you know, try to pursue it. And if you don't feel comfortable completely leaving your nine to five to do it, just, you know, dip your toe in the water just by doing it on the side. So yeah, you'll have, you know, your full-time job and then you'll have your passion on the side. But because it's your passion, it won't feel like work. So you're just using your nine to five to basically fund your five to nine, as some people would say. And that's fine, too. And even though I didn't go that route exactly, um, the the fact that I still did it anyway 
Like, I, I don't regret it at all. What prompted you to start your kind of tie-dye shop knowing all of this? Um, I started it because I was, uh, like I said, I, I work as a visual merchandiser for a, a national chain and we got furloughed at the end of uh, the middle of March because they closed our store. And so I was basically on unemployment board in the house. And <laughs> um, I started like most millennials. Um, I decided to download TikTok while I was bored in the house. Because <laughs> before I was just like, I'm not doing TikTok. Like you forget it. But then I got so bored that I was like, let's go see what, you know, what the kids are talking about with this TikTok thing. <laughs> so then I started looking at it and then I kept seeing people making tie-dye stuff on TikTok. And I knew it was trending as far as like a fashion trend. But then I kept seeing all these people like making stuff. Most people were doing it with bleach, which you can do. Um, it's, a, it's a lot easier because you can just basically take any old sweatsuit and um, spray it with household bleach and you can create a tie-dye effect on darker color like sweatsuits and stuff. Um, so I saw that and I was like, am I that bored? that I'm really considering making a tie-dye suit. <laughs> and it was like, yes. And I wanted, I specifically wanted, because I again, I'm a neutrals person. I specifically wanted a white sweatsuit with gray dye. That's what I wanted. And nobody had it, or if they did, they wanted a lot of money for it. So I was just like, well, tie-dye doesn't seem that hard. Like, it seems really easy, relatively easy to do, even though these kids are doing it with bleach. If I got actual dye, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard. So I bought a white sweatsuit and a bottle of charcoal gray dye. And I vlogged my making my suit experience in my yard. And then I posted it on my Instagram as part of my blog because I have a YouTube channel. And... Everybody was like, oh, it turned out so good. You know, are you selling it? You know, like, just kind of like, I want one, you know, and stuff like that. And I was just kind of like, are y'all serious? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, girl, like, if you selling it, you know, like, if you selling that great, because it's popping, like, I'll buy one. So at first, it was, you know, it was just like a few followers and friends. And I was just kind of like, okay, y'all are really gassing me up right now. I'm seriously thinking about it. And then... Um, that like maybe a couple days later, I was just hanging out in my uh, dad's yard. My dad's retired. So he kind of has this um, cigar club that meets every Wednesday and they just hang out in his backyard and smoke cigars and, you know, shoot the breeze. And I had gone over there to just hang out with my dad. And I was just like, hey, dad, did you see uh, my tracksuit that I made? I just, you know, on the, on Facebook. And he was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, you said you were kind of low-key thinking about selling it. And I was like, yeah, I kind of was. And he was like, I think you should do it. And his cigar buddies who also have their own businesses and, you know, have had several successful businesses were like, yeah, girl, you should sell them. And you should, you know, add these products to it because people will go up for those. And, you know, there's no reason why you can't do it. It's really easy to set up a business. All you got to do is this, this and this. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I was so motivated from that, from that conversation that I literally went home and for the next two days, I designed my logo. I set up my business structure 
I got the Instagram. I got, I bought my domains. Like I started checking all the boxes to be like, yes, we're really doing this. Wow. And I met up <laughs> and I met up with my dad. Like this was like a Sunday and I met up with him again on Wednesday and they're like, so what have you done for the business so far? And I was like, I did this, 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 and this. And my dad was just like, see, I knew when she left, she was going to, she was going to get it done. Cause she was, when she's super passionate about something, she just goes all out and will just be nonstop until she gets it finished. So this was like the beginning of May by mid May, I launched the shop. Like, again, that's what happens when I get really passionate about something. I set up the whole business, um, made all the samples, you know, shot all the visuals, shout out to my, uh, my younger sister, who's my photographer. We did the product shoot. We did all the visuals for the website that we have. Um, I built the site uh, with the help of Shopify, like got everything set up and then in like two and a half weeks. And then I was like, okay, y'all, y'all said you wanted to buy my sweatsuits. Ta-da. <laughs> and I was like, I have a, I have a shop now. And everybody's like, oh my God, it's so good. And I came up with, you know, instead of just selling gray, um, I actually have nine colors that I sell. And, um, and then I also, you know, expanded the line to offer, you know, shirts, sweatshirts, leggings, sports bras, tank tops, like, you know, I have a full line. And at first it was just, you know, like a few orders here and there, you know, I'd be like, oh, I got like four orders today. And then I would just, you know, sit in my front yard on my stoop and, you know, just have the squeeze bottle in my hand and just be like, okay, I'm making these orders and pack them <laughs> and, you know, take them to the post office and stuff. And my mom was just kind of like, you're seriously doing this? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, mm, okay. And <laughs> I started, you know, just kept doing it. So the first two weeks, it was just kind of like, yeah, got a couple orders today. I'm going to do it. And then June 1st hit. And sorry, the ice cream truck is going no, by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thing in my neighborhood come by. So I was like, is it my I live in the burbs. <laughs> and so, and so then um, I... Um, June 1st hit and I had a few more pieces that I wanted to roll out. I decided to do the muscle tees, the sports bras, uh, the tank tops and the dog pieces that came out June 1st. So I was like, yeah, we, you know, we're expanding the line, do to do, you know, stuff like that. And I feel like it's more robust now and it's more complete. And it, you know, instead of just having sweatshirts, it's June, it's starting to get hot. We got tank tops now, like, yes. And everybody's like, yes, we love the tank tops. But then it was the whole um, shop black movement because of the protests and um, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, that people really made it their mission to shop black owned businesses. And people started re reposting my shop on Instagram like mad. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, like. She, you know, it's black owned and she makes tie dye. And then also because I'm size inclusive, I go from small to three XL. Um, a lot of the plus size girls, you know, bloggers, influencers and stuff are like, oh my God, she makes tie dye for us. And, you know, so people just kept reposting and reposting and buying and reposting that that week I had like a hundred orders <laughs> that week oh, wow. and I told the shop literally blew up overnight and at first I was like oh my god I have a hundred orders this this is it and then it was like oh my god I have a hundred orders 
that I need to make. <laughs> and I'm by myself. I need help. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was like, so then it was kind of like, okay, like we got to buy more clothes. You know, luckily I had done all the research as far as like the wholesalers I was going to use if and when the shop blew up. But then I went to my dad and I was like, dad, remember how we were talking all these, you know, worst case scenarios about like, you know, if the shop blew up, I was going to need more space. And, you know, we were going to expand the garage and clear it out so that I could work <laughs> there and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I kind of need that now. And he was like, oh, uh, oh, oh, OK. And so he cleared out the garage for me um, at my house. And um, at first we only cleared out one side because we were only doing the production as far as like dying and stuff on one side of my garage. And then it was starting to take over my house. Like as far as how many pieces I was making, I was using my washing machine. I was using my dining room table as kind of like my shipping station, had my printer and my label maker and all my packaging (laughs) and stuff. So it was taking over my house. And my mom was just like, you need more room because it's cool that you're doing all your dying in the garage, but you know, it's taking over the house as far as like your, you know, packaging and stuff. And I was like, okay, well it looks like I'm gonna have to use the other side of the garage too. So then my dad had to clean that side out. And then now that side is like the side that has all my um, inventory and where I pack my orders and there was way more room. And then I was able to actually put like a desk in here and like all my shipping equipment and stuff is here. So now I'm like completely self-contained in my garage now and like that's just a testament to how crazy it got and it got to the point where i had only been open for two months and i had a thousand orders in two months oh my gosh wow and so i had to i had to literally hire my family to help me (laughs) so like my mom packs all the orders because you know, she's an older lady, so she can't do anything that's too physical. So she was like, how about I just pack orders for you? And I was like, that's fantastic. So she comes in the garage every morning and I give her, you know, I'm like, these are the orders that need to get packed. And she packs them all and then, you know, leaves them for uh, the post office or UPS to pick up. Mm -hmm. My dad is my bag man. He does all the stuff behind the scenes that I don't have time to do. So when I was busy working, uh, he was the one that cleaned out the garage, bought all my shelving, organized it, set everything up. You know, he's basically whenever I need something, he does it. So even when um, my washing machine broke one weekend and part of tie-dye is you have to wash it. And I was literally like, what am I going to do? The washing machine broke it. Like, and I was crying and he was just like, we'll find a laundromat. Aww. And I was like, Really? And he's like, yeah, we'll just find a laundromat and we'll just do laundry. And he was like, well, how did it go? And I was like, oh, you know, it only cost me this much to do it. And they have the commercial washer. So it was easy for me to just literally throw all my clothes into one washing machine and then all the clothes into one dryer. And it only took me like an hour and a half and all of it's done. And he was just like, well, why don't you just do that from now on? And I was just like, yeah, and add that to my list of other things that I have to do running this business. And he's like, I'll do laundry every morning. So so literally my dad every morning does the laundry for the shop. 
Like he, he comes whenever he wakes up because he's an early bird. He comes to my house, opens the garage, takes all the clothes I dyed the day before, takes them to the laundromat, washes them and brings them back. And it's all sorted and folded and everything. And then I can just pack the orders later. So, you know, and then my sister, along with my photography that she does, she did all the uh, product shots. She did all of the um, styling photography that we did in the creative direction for the images that we have as far as me modeling the clothes. She did all that. And then also she's like my number two. So she helps me when I have a ton of stuff to dye. She's the one that's helping me tie pieces. She helps me dye pieces, you know. So it's it's almost like a family-owned business now, and it's kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much how it got started and where we are. That's so awesome. And like honestly, you really did that. Like, you really did that. <laughs> yeah, like, people are so impressed with the quality, with the designs, with the color ranges, with the size ranges. Um, the neutral tie-dye is our by far our best sellers. Um, the taupe, which is our best-selling color by a long shot, um, was basically like tie-dye, but make it fashion for everybody. And they just love it. And it was the last color I added at the last minute. And I don't regret it because it's become my favorite. And I think all those things are like something to like be proud of in that way. As we um, come to wrap up the episode, we like to ask like one bigger question and then one that's not as like heavy. It's a bit lighter. So, but this one, totally <laughs> okay. take a moment to think about it if you need to. Um, but what would you like our listeners to take away from this episode? I would like for y'all out there in listener land to take away that you're never too old to follow your passion and it's okay to define success your way. Um, monetary success doesn't always necessarily mean success or even success on paper, having, you know, the most degrees or anything like that doesn't necessarily equate to success either. And also, um, use your, use your nine to five to fund your passion. Uh, if you're not ready, if you're not ready to quit and you don't have a backup plan, it is perfectly okay to do both. Um, and also if, your business does start to see even just a scintilla of success, don't think that that's a good time to quit. If your business is doing well at the beginning, that's great. But really, you need to make sure that as far as long term, it's going to be successful enough where you feel comfortable quitting your job. That's some really great pieces of advice and a great message to end on. Uh, the last question we like to ask, and um, you can totally include your business in this, totally give a shout out, um, but do you have any favorite uh, sustainable or ethical um, companies that you would like to give a shout out to or any small companies or local companies that you love shopping from? Um, my favorite uh, small businesses to shop from. Um, I have a few friends who also own their own um, 
boutiques and businesses. Um, my friend, uh, her shop is a uh, shop Caribbean cowgirl. She has great pieces. She has great visuals and she loves to, um, her market is basically like looking fashionable and trendy, but then also on a budget. And I just love her and her personality. And then also she's insanely talented. Um, and then also some other small businesses that I love um, that are local to here in the Bay Area. There's a um, boutique that's called McMullen. Um, it's a higher end boutique, but it's run by a, a black woman. Um, her name is Sherry. She's fantastic. Um, she used to be a buyer for Neiman Marcus, and she took that experience and know how to open her own boutique. Um, and now she has two locations. She has one in Oakland, California, and one in Palo Alto. Um, her eye is exquisite. Uh, she carries a lot of the brands that I personally love. She's a beautiful person, and and her shop is insane. Um, and then also some brands that I recently discovered I've been making more of an effort myself as a black woman owned business to also shop other black owned businesses myself because if I'm gonna talk the talk I should walk the walk as well I've discovered some great brands myself uh, Lem Lem has become one of my favorites um, I just bought a dress from them and I just want to live in it I don't live in it in my shop though because it would get covered and die um <laughs> But um, also, uh, I love Pyre Moss. Uh, he has a collection with Reebok. I was finally able to get a hold of his sneakers. And I am so excited. Um, and then Hanifa, I wore one of her beautiful tops. She's Congolese. I wore, wore her top for my birthday dinner last week and got rave reviews on it. And I just want to live in that too. It was so soft. <laughs> and also... Um, you know, just, just black owned businesses in general, like there's so many creative uh, black designers and black brands that don't get the recognition that they deserve because they're insanely talented and maybe they don't have the capital or the resources to really blow up like other brands do. But if you do try them, I guarantee you won't be disappointed and you know, if you can't afford those businesses, it's okay to um, share those businesses with someone who would enjoy them or be able to afford them. That's also another way that you can support businesses as well. You may not be able to afford the price point, but just sharing them with friends and colleagues that, you know, like, oh, you know what, this friend would probably like this and tagging them or, you know, DMing them a picture. Oh, I think you would like this. That's a great way to show how much you care and support um, Black-owned businesses and businesses in general by bringing them business because there's nothing better than word of mouth, to be honest. Absolutely. And yeah, like we've totally agreed with everything you said. Shop Black-owned businesses. Shop. Amber's shop. Did you want to give a shout out to yourself and your shop so that people can find you and also connect with you and shop from you? Yes. So if you are on the Instagram, um, our Instagram handle for the shop is at shop Amber Rochelle and Rochelle has one L not two. And also we have our main website, which is the same. It's shop Amber Rochelle with one L dot com. If you also if you 
are on the computer like that. We also have a Facebook page, which is the same handle. We are also on the Twitter, um, but our Twitter handle only has um, one R in it from Amber Rochelle because Twitter has a limit. And <laughs> also, um, if you want to follow my fashion blog where you get to see a little bit more of my personality, if you enjoyed it from this podcast, uh, my blog is called Cocoa Butter Diaries and Cocoa is uh, spelt just like chocolate, like the cocoa bean, C-O-C-O-A. And it's all one word. Um, we have lots of fun on the internets. You can see my personal style when I'm not in sweatpants and dying in my shop. And you can also see adorable pictures of my miniature schnauzer named Dexter. We really recommend it. Thank you so much, Amber, for taking the time to come on our podcast. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call? Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus, it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. This season, a full heart doesn't mean a full house. We're still gathering, just virtually, and we're still connecting, safely. Traditions keep us close even when we can't be together. Think big, plan small. Let's save lives, Columbus.